Welcome to Engage 360, Denver Seminary's podcast. Join us as we explore the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture at work in our culture today. Hey friends, welcome back to Engage 360 from Denver Seminary. We're glad to have you with us. My name is Don Payne, I'm your host, and I'm really glad to be joined again by our president, Dr. Mark Young, who's been with us many times. Welcome back, Mark. Yeah, thanks, Don. It's great to be back with you. We're glad to have Mark here to talk about a new book that he has just released called One True Story, One True God, What the Bible is All About. Um, what, Mark, prompt, what prompted you to write this book before you tell us a little bit about the book itself? Okay, thanks. I'm glad to do that. So the, the book narrates a story in the beginning that uh, started me on a journey of trying to learn how to read the Scripture in a way that I could answer the question, what is the Bible about? I realized I couldn't do that, so I got along, got along the journey of saying, if I read the Bible as a whole and saw it as a coherent book as opposed to a compendium of lots of different books and stories— uh, would that change the way I read it, and would that give me deeper understanding? Uh, so then that led to me using this material and this approach in different classes that I taught. I taught a class online for Our Daily Bread, and they asked me then to turn that class into a book. Okay. All right. Now, you made a curious statement just a moment ago when you said that you could not answer what the Bible is about. Now, you have loads and loads of higher theological education. Uh, how is it that you <laughs> determined you could not answer the question about what the Bible was about? Yeah, well, I was asked that question, right? So <laughs> okay. I was on a flight uh, out of Paris several years ago, and uh, the man beside me, a French man, a businessman, saw that I had my Bible open on my lap. And so he leaned over and pointed at the at the Bible in my lap, and he said, what's that book about? And, you know, clearly he didn't know it was a Bible, and clearly then he didn't know what the Bible was about. And I, I'm sure I stumbled through some kind of an answer. I, I'm sure I didn't just sit there with my mouth open, uh, not saying anything, but I stumbled through an answer, and I'm, I hope I said something about God and Jesus and those <laughs> kinds of things, but I didn't have a coherent answer. And the challenge for me, Don, was so it was twofold, I think. On the one hand, I had been trained to read the biblical languages. I'd been trained to analyze the parts of the Bible down to the smallest details. So I could identify for you accent marks and how particular points in Hebrew changed words and changed meaning. And I could identify syntax and grammar and semantic backgrounds of different words and passages. But I really wasn't trained to think of the Bible as, as a book, as a whole, or as a story, really. And the second thing was the Bible means so much to me. I'd read it. I read it through every year. I'd studied it. I'd really given my life to teaching it that I was afraid that if I tried to answer that question, somehow my answer would be insufficient to express just how much the Bible means to me. So I was a little bit stymied. And then that set me on this journey of asking, uh, of, of asking myself, how would I answer that question? What is the Bible about as a whole? 
That's interesting because it, what you're suggesting is that at some point in your ministry, apparently well into your ministry, and after lots of education, there was a real transformation of your own outlook on the Bible. Absolutely. There's no question no, like a, about Like a paradigm, uh, paradigm shift in a profound way. Yes, that's true. I, I think a lot of us have assumptions about what the Bible is as we come to read it. And if you were to ask me what are the operative assumptions or what are the ones that I hear most often voiced, particularly from the pulpit, uh, I would say that a lot of us read the Bible like a handbook, right? A handbook for happy living. So we, we are always taught when we preach to break down the passage, but we always have to end with the practical application of the passage, which means sermons end with these are the three things you need to do. And then we'll get, you know, the biblical view of marriage, the biblical view of money, the biblical view of leadership. So we read the Bible looking for these tips about how to live a better life. Mm-hmm. And then we tend to think of the Bible as a compendium of those, those tips. And then sometimes I think people read the Bible, you know, kind of like a, a rule book full of all the things you should do and you shouldn't do with the emphasis on you shouldn't do and the emphasis on how frequently you don't do what you're supposed to do, right? So the Bible becomes not just a handbook for a happy living, but it becomes a way for us to see just how inadequate we are. And certainly both of those things are true. But in my view, that diminishes the voice of the Bible. It makes the Bible say less than it was written to say. Well, it makes it kind of one-dimensional. Very much so. So as I ask the question, then, what's that book about? If, if I tried to take the handbook approach, I'd come up with a list of 100,000 things that the Bible is about, right? And if I took the rule book approach, I'd come up with dozens of commands that we wouldn't, that we couldn't possibly obey, many of them, in fact. Uh, So I just had to step back and say, well, what is the Bible? I needed to answer that question while I was trying to answer, what's it about? And that was a part of the journey and that I report in this book. Okay, one true story, one true God, what the Bible is all about. So what is it all about? Tell us the story. Yeah, so if someone were to ask me that question again. And by the way, I use that question throughout the book, constantly bringing the, the reader back to it. Um, I would answer it this way. Uh, the Bible is a redemption story, a magnificent tale of God's love. It points us to the cross where Jesus died to rescue us from our sin and restores us to the life he created us to have. Reading it has changed my life, and it can change your too yours too. Hmm. That's the way I would answer that man again. Hmm. The Bible is a redemption story, pure and simple. It, it, it narrates to us how God steps into the human condition and that shows what God does on our behalf to rescue us and to restore us to the life that he created us to have. So if you were to ask me that question in a little bit more of an academic setting, I would say the Bible is the story of God's redemptive mission, God's engagement, redemptive engagement in human history. So that, that raises the question of the gospel. Uh, when you talk about redemption story, redemption in human history, obviously that's, that's where that points, the gospel. 
But in a lot of readings of the Bible, the gospel seems to be one aspect, maybe a, a, a central aspect, a defining aspect. But how does this help us reconceptualize or, or maybe broaden our understanding of what the gospel is when we use that word? I, I think the actually the way I'm using the this definition of the Bible as the story of God's redemptive mission, it points us all the time to the cross. So if we think about the Bible as history, because the Bible is a book of God's redemptive engagement in human history, the centerpiece of human history is the Christ event, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, followed by the validating act of God in the resurrection. So everything in the story of the Bible from Genesis 1 up to the cross of Jesus is moving human history, moving our understanding toward the Christ event on the cross. And everything in the Bible after what we read about the the crucifixion and the resurrection looks back at the cross and finds its meaning in relationship to the cross. So the Bible is actually the single most important history of humanity that's ever been written. And the centerpiece of that history is the redemptive act of God with Christ dying on the cross and being raised from the dead. Now think about it. If you oriented your whole view of life with the cross as the centerpiece of how you viewed life, all of history, and your place in it, wouldn't that change things? Hmm. Hmm. You know, I'm I'm thinking of... um two different ways of thinking about the Bible and the gospel. And and maybe they're both valid in their own right. Uh, The one that is possibly more familiar to a lot of people would be that we look through the lens of the Bible to see the gospel. The other might be that we look through the lens of the gospel to understand the Bible. Are, are Are those both valid ways of thinking about this or... Yeah, I, is I one one any better than the other? I haven't used that language myself. I have to think carefully about what you're saying. I mean, we certainly need the Bible to understand the gospel message, but there's a sense. I mean, what I think I hear in in your remarks is that there's a sense in which the gospel then becomes a sort of interpretive lens for the Bible. No question. Yeah, I think you could argue that the story of the Bible is the gospel, mm-hmm. right? So it's if if we go back to what I said earlier about reading the Bible as God's redemptive mission, uh, we need to focus on those two words, right? So two big words, one big story is the way I like to put it. Redemption and mission, two big words. In the Bible, redemption, I believe, is the most comprehensive of the words that describe what God has done on humanity's behalf. And the easy way for, for folks to, easy way for us to remember what redemption is, is to think about three R words. Redemption is God's act of rescue and God's act of restoration. And on the cross, it's accomplished by a ransom. So redemption is rescue, restoration. I think there are four major redemptive pivots in the Bible. Uh, The first, of course, is the Exodus, where God rescues his people from Egypt and restores them to the place that he had promised them, to the land. The second is when God brings the people of Israel back to that land. He rescues them from captivity in Babylon, 
and he restores them to the land. The centerpiece of it all is the great redemptive act on the cross where Jesus rescues all of humanity from the curse of, of, of sin, uh, the curse of death because of sin, and restores us by faith to life with him. And at the end of the Bible, you have the great climactic consummation of redemption when God rescues all of creation from the curse of sin and restores it to what he created it to be, in fact, exceeds the original creation. Mm -hmm. So if we think about the Bible as a redemption story, and we see those four great acts of redemption as ways to mark the progress of God's redemptive engagement, then the Bible is the narration of the gospel, mm -hmm. because the gospel is a redemption message. Mm -hmm. The second big word, mission, implies that everything God does is intentional. Everything that happens in the Bible, every story, every proverb, every bit of it is leading us to that great climactic full redemption that we read about in Revelation 21 and 22. And I like to illustrate it this way. So if you took a, a, a satellite, if you looked at a satellite photo of the Mississippi River, let's say on the western boundary of the state of Mississippi, you would see not a straight line running from north to south. The Mississippi River winds many times. And in fact, at sometimes it actually begins to go a little bit back to the north. It's just a, an amazing serpentine course that it cuts, but it's always moving to the Gulf. Mm -hmm. And so when I read the Bible, sometimes I feel like, wait a minute, how does that fit into God's redemptive <laughs> yeah. history, right? Yeah. yeah, if you thin and slice it. That's right. So there are times when you have to, I have to read those passages with the whole story in mind, or frankly, they don't make any sense to me. Mm -hmm. Or they're, in some cases, offensive. I just read the story about a man cutting up a woman and scattering her body parts in the book of Judges. How on earth do you make sense of that? Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So being able to know that whatever God does and whatever God has recorded is moving us toward this end of human history actually provides that interpretive framework you were talking about where we are reading it through the lens of what God does in the gospel. Right. You know, it's, a, it's occurred to me for some years now that if we if we look to the Bible in some of the ways you described earlier, uh, like an instruction manual or um, you know, moral uh, code books or something like that, if we piecemeal the Bible and preach it and teach it apart from that framework, it's actually possible for the Bible to work against faith. Yes. It's possible for the Bible to be the enemy of faith or the thing that causes people to walk away from faith when those those stories, those accounts, those thing, those um, those elements that are the the back loops, you know, the uh, the curves back to the north in the Mississippi, mm -hmm. are taken out of the context of what the Bible is doing overall. That's right. They are, and, I, the, and I've seen that. You probably have as well. Oh, no question. And I've I've had people who don't know Christ or don't want to know Christ uh, use those passages as a reason why they can't believe the gospel is true. Mm -hmm. So it behooves us to be able to say that in many cases, the Bible points out to us just how much in need of God we are by describing in great detail 
just how evil we can be. But that that isn't the end of the story. The end of the story is that Jesus dies for those people, bears their sin, no matter how heinous, no matter how despicable it is, and that ultimately, if they believe in Christ, that they will experience the full restoration, the full redemption mm. that's offered to the person who lived it in the world's eyes, a better life. Mm. Yeah. Mark, as you think about um, people who are, are preaching and teaching the Bible on a regular basis, or even an occasional basis, for that matter, how might this, in some concrete ways, change the practice of preaching and teaching, do you think? Yeah, I think one of the big challenges is that we have generations of Christians that are now trained to go to church believing that if they don't get at least three practical tips from every message, it hasn't been worthwhile. Mm. And that, that's tragic. Basically what it's saying is that theology, that what we believe about God, that what we believe about human history and how God fits into it, is not relevant in our lives. I would argue that exactly the opposite is true, that if we begin to reshape congregations to believe that when they come every Sunday morning, they're going to not just get perhaps a few good ideas about how to live, but they're going to be Sunday after Sunday reinforced in viewing all of life from a different perspective, from a different worldview, the one that's presented in the story of the Bible, that that actually brings greater transformation than the few tips that we might give at the end of every service. So it's going to be the kind of preaching that draws us to the work of Jesus on the cross, that draws us to the God, the Redeemer, that draws us to the hope of the, of the full redemption that awaits us. I think if we picked up our Bible and every time we read it, we're saying, this is how I have to view all of human history and my place in it. It would change our expectations of what we're going to encounter as we read it. And good preaching, in my view, draws us right back to that reality. When we pick up the Bible, we hold in our hands the one true story of the one true God and his engagement in all of human history. There's no other book like that. Hmm. That raises my expectation of what God might be saying to me. So I'm glad I'm not a pastor. Let me start there. I think that's one of the, one of the greatest callings and most difficult callings in the world. But I would hope that we could begin to change the expectations of what our listeners would experience and encounter every time they came to hear the Word of God preached. You know, as I think about what you're saying, Mark, it probably would change uh, the average believer's expectations as they individually engage the Bible, like in you know their their devotional reading or their quiet time or whatever word they want to use for that. Um, because I think there's a long-standing and probably a, a, a both a deep and a wide set of expectations among a, lots and lots of Christians that when they when they do you know, personal engagement, individual engagement with the scriptures, that those times ought generally at least to be kind of warming and filling and inspiring and, you know, leave us with a you know, good word for the day. But, and I'll, I guess I can only speak for myself, but I, 
I, I don't want to overgeneralize my experience, but I suspect this is typical, that as often as not, you can read a passage in the Bible and come away feeling kind of crummy mm-hmm. and think, what in the world is that about? And, wow, you know, if we're really going to be candid, wow, thanks for the good word, Lord. Now I, got, <laughs> now I feel worse than I did, and i got to go to work. <laughs> uh, but this would recalibrate our expectations for what we, if I can use this phrase, get out of the Bible day by day when we read it, as as we ought to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um but it, maybe the, the imagery is shifted to an expectation that, yeah, God ought to be messing with me. God ought to be changing the way I see everything. And you know, just like when my eyeglass prescription is upgraded, it takes a few days for me to kind of get my bearings and see the curb on the street exactly where it is so I'm not tripping over it. Yeah. Because my eyesight's being, my, my eye brain um, connections are being recalibrated. And that, that's probably a signal that the Bible's doing its intended work. No question. I think what, what often happens is we read the Bible selfishly, right? So we come to the Bible, and we want to get something from God that will encourage us. I want to get something from God that will encourage me that day because I'm discouraged or uh, I don't see a pathway forward or I have been hurt or I'm angry, whatever. And I think sometimes we have to remember that when we, as humans, fell, our souls were curved inwards upon ourselves. And all of a sudden, life became about me finding satisfaction, about me finding meaning, about me, me, and me. But when we come to know Christ, the one who lived outwardly for sake of others— Our redemption is to turn us outward. So what I find is when I read the Bible as the the cosmic history of how God engages humanity redemptively, it forces me to think beyond me. It forces me to see my, my story, my troubles, my joys in relationship to what God's doing in the world. And therefore, it creates a different motivation to read. So today I'm reading what can I gain in my understanding about who God is and what he's about in the world that will give me a platform with my neighbor, that will allow me to step beyond my own hurts and into the life of the person who hurt me, that will allow me to see my life in relationship to something much bigger than my own happiness, much more significant. So I think reading the Bible as the story of God's redemptive mission turns us inside out and allows us to, to encounter God in ways that mirror his very character as he steps toward humanity redemptively again and again and again. Wow, and there, there is a, a restoration and a happiness of its own kind in that. Absolutely. I think that, that Jesus makes it clear, if you want to find your life, what do you have to do? Oh, yeah, there's this lose it thing. Yeah, right? <laughs> that's yeah, exactly yeah, right. That. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that is, I think, the big challenge for the pastor, too, who has a room full of people who want to get something for themselves, right? So as those of us who are in some way used of God to serve God's people for the sake of mission, one of our great desires is to help people turn themselves outward, to turn themselves inside out and begin living for the sake of others 
in ways that transcend their constant, our my constant desire to get to be happy, to be satisfied. And I, boy, the more the older I get, the more I live. I think the the real battle in the world for me is not necessarily the battle against Satan's work or the battle against a culture that's going a different direction. By the way, I think that's a horrible metaphor. But I think the real battle is against myself Hmm. and my own selfish desires and my constant, constant temptation to want to turn all that God has done into something that was done just for me and my benefit. Mark, since this is an academic setting we're talking in, uh, what, what kind of audience do you have in mind for this book? Is this a, a textbook for seminary students? What kind of book is this? Yeah, Don, we wrote this, bo- this book for everyone. Uh, in fact, I think this is a book you could hand to someone who perhaps is sympathetic about reading the Bible but doesn't even know Christ yet. It's a book you could hand to someone who's early in their walk and struggling with these passages that don't seem to make sense or not even wanting to read the Bible. Uh, it's a book that someone who studies the Bible regularly could find benefit in as well. So it's written for a broad audience. Uh, I think it could be useful as a, as a book for uh, Christian colleges or some kind of an introduction to how to read the Bible as a whole, but it is not an academic tome. It, it's full of stories and, and short sentences and, and de-churchified language. Um, so I, I hope that it's something that will serve the body of Christ broadly. Well, that, that alone ought to make it sell. I hope so. One true story, one true God, what the Bible is all about, Dr. Mark Young. Mark, thanks for the work on doing this and for sharing it with us, giving cool. us a taste of it. Glad to do it. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, Friends, um, hope you'll check with us frequently on our website. We have, as some of you may know, a series of uh, webinars called In Perspective, where we have panels who tackle various uh, often tangled and thorny topics. We would enga- invite you to engage with us on those periodically. Check our website, and we've got lots of other good resources for you there as well. We're grateful for you who spend a little, little time with us every couple of weeks. Uh, I'm Don Payne. This is Engage 360 from Denver Seminary, and we look forward to being with you again soon. Take care.